Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast. Get ready for an exploration of the Gospel of Matthew in our new message series, Love God and Love People. The title of this study of Matthew is much more than a catchphrase. It is a call to action. We'll dig into what it means to love God and love others, even when life gets complicated. We want to push you to rethink how you live out the Gospel message in your own day-to-day life. Let's have a listen. Morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. I missed last week's baptism services. I know we had 10 people get baptized here over the weekend last weekend, which is wonderful. I missed it because Deb and I were up in Rochester. Our grandson got baptized last Sunday as well. So we were there at their church to uh, celebrate that. But it's good to be with you this morning. And we are in a series called Love God, Love People. We are walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in here for a number of weeks, kind of taking a big picture look at the Gospel of Matthew. And today, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to be looking at Matthew 5 through 7. Don't let that scare you. We'll still be done a little bit around 11, but... uh, No, I'm sorry, 1030. (laughs) I did scare you for a minute there, didn't I? Oh boy, got to change our lunch plans. Anyway, we'll be done a little bit around 1030, but uh, we're going to take a big picture look at the Sermon on the Mount. And so I titled the sermon and he began to teach them, which is how the Sermon on the Mount passage in Matthew 5 begins. So you may want to follow along uh, in a Bible uh, when we get there. But I want to want to bring us up to that point, and again, looking at the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gets baptized, doesn't have to, we know that, he gets baptized to identify with us, he doesn't get baptized because of any sin that he needs to deal with, but he gets baptized as a, as a, a way of bonding with us in his humanity, and then he's immediately led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, which is an interesting thing to consider, to be tempted by Satan. Um, and he is victorious over every temptation that Satan throws his way. Satan tries to derail Jesus from his mission, which is to go to the cross, to die for us, and to pay for our sins. Satan tries to derail him from that, is unsuccessful. uh, Jesus is successful in defeating those temptations. And then he comes back and he begins to preach uh, about why he has come to the earth. And he's come to the earth to announce that the kingdom is near. The kingdom of God is, is taking root in a very new way because of his presence now on the earth. And he begins to invite people to join him in his kingdom. And the first people he invites and who say yes to him are Simon and Andrew and James and John. And he begins to uh, teach them how to uh, be members of his kingdom now that they have come to him and joined him. He teaches them how to how his his kingdom people live. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is going to, uh, to, to uh, extend us, uh, uh, teach us as well. So um, he's offering us a whole new way of being that reflects God's values and God's heart. And my main point today is this, Jesus' people look different. They look increasingly like Jesus. And I, I doubt that's a new idea to you. If you've been here, if you've heard me preach before, this is, this is kind of uh, one of the main things that I keep coming back to is that as a Christian, you know, it's not just about getting saved and going to heaven someday. As a Christian, God is very much concerned about forming us into the likeness of his son, Jesus. 
And that's an ongoing process. It's a daily process of denying ourselves and, and turning to Jesus and letting him do his work in us. You know, whenever a baby is born, and, and a year ago, uh, Charlie, our little granddaughter, was born, and, and immediately people began looking her at her. We did, and her parents did. And, and, you know, whose eyes does she have? She definitely has her mom's eyes. We're very clear on that. Beautiful eyes. Uh, you know, whose nose does she have? And as she gets older, it'll be whose personality? You know, is she, is she quieter? Is she boisterous? Is she noisy? Is she busy? You know, all those kinds of things. We start to look at how our children reflect us or their grandparents or other people in the family. Well, God is very clear that as his children, we are to reflect his son, Jesus. We are to look more and more like Jesus, not clones of Jesus. We will always have our own personalities. Pastor John will always be funnier than me. I will always be a little more somber than him, right? That's our personalities. So we don't become clones of Jesus, but God works through our personalities to express the values and the feelings and the attitudes of Jesus. He wants us to reflect those aspects of Jesus in the world. There's numerous places in the Bible that, that talk about this. Let me just share a couple verses with you. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And 1 John 3.2, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him. So this is, the, this is God's plan, is to form us, to make us more and more like Christ. And the, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, more teaching about that. It's, it's really the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, and, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount because um, actually there's, there's two sermons. There's the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. Some people think they're the same, uh, happen at the same, you know, they're, they're talking about the same um, uh, episode. Other people think that they are two different episodes, not really important. They cover a lot of the same material. Um, but that's uh, called the Sermon on the Mount because it took place on a hillside. And when we were in Israel, uh, we went to the Mount of Beatitudes where uh, Jesus very likely preached this sermon. Now, you're going to see a clip of this from The Chosen. And I was watching this again last night and thinking, well, that doesn't look much like a mountain. Well, actually, um, it's not. <laughs> and the Mount of Beatitudes is more like a slope uh, than a mountain, okay? So don't let that throw you. He said it was a sermon on the mount. Well, that's not a mountain. Don't worry about that. Just listen to what Jesus says in this clip. Do not notice the log 
Your owner. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And if anyone should force you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the storm. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You notice that whole group of people there listening to Jesus, and it's important to understand that there were really two different kinds of people there. There were the followers, those who had already committed themselves to Jesus, and the Bible says in Matthew 5, 1, that he called his disciples to him. Disciples are students of Christ, so they've already made a commitment to follow Jesus. And then there's a whole group of people that are considered the crowd. And in the crowd, surely there were people that were curious. They wanted to hear something of what Jesus had to say. They knew he had performed miracles. He had done healing and so forth. So they were drawn to, to listen. But surely there were others who were skeptical, who were just looking for, you know, ways, things he might say that they could tear apart or they could discount. Uh, and, and that's true in any gathering, right? Uh, that people are listening to Jesus and they're coming from different places. But it's important to realize that the disciples are the one that he is directing this sermon to primarily. Everyone else can listen. They may be attracted to what he has to say and they may come into his kingdom. But the Sermon on the Mount is directed to those who have already made a commitment to follow Christ and want to learn from him. And it's important to keep that in mind because otherwise we can get really sideways on what the Sermon on the Mount is meant to tell us. It only takes about 15 minutes to read or listen to the Sermon on the Mount. I, I have a Bible app and, and I listen probably five or six times this week. I just put it on and listen to the whole sermon through. And I want to encourage you to do that, either read it or listen several times this week, because I'm not going to go into all the detail on this on, in these chapters. Um, and it takes several listenings to begin to get an understanding of what Jesus is trying to say to us here. I want to give you kind of an overview of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I want to start with this, what the Sermon on the Mount is not. Okay, so Understand, the Sermon on the Mount is not the entrance exam to Jesus' kingdom. 
Jesus doesn't preach this message and, and he's not laying out uh, what you have to do to become a follower of his. This is not a message about what you need to do to measure up to get to heaven. Uh, C.S. Lewis was asked what he thought about the Sermon on the Mount. Did he care for it? And, and he said, uh, as for caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for means liking it or enjoying it, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? If you don't understand why he would say that, you need to read the Sermon on the Mount and you need to take it seriously. Because what Lewis is saying is that when you read this, you understand, wow, I, phew, there's no way. I don't know how I could possibly live like that, right? And if you come to the Sermon on the Mount and you think, well, this is what you got to do to become a Christian, then it's going to knock you flat. This is a sermon that's directed to people who've made a commitment to Christ and understand that this is who Jesus is forming them to be as members of their kingdom. So it's not the entrance exam to Jesus' kingdom. You know, when you, when you apply to a college, I remember doing this, you know, you fill out applications and you write essays and you get references and you gather your tuition money. And when you get all that together, you hope that the people will, who are looking at all of it will pass you in and, and allow you to come in and begin to learn at college. That's not the way it works in Jesus' kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, how do you enter in? You confess that you're a sinner in need of Jesus' forgiveness and you receive what he did for you on the cross, and you become a member of his kingdom. That's it. And then as a member of his kingdom, Jesus begins to form us to be the people he wants us to be, to be more and more like him. So it's not the entrance exam to Jesus' kingdom. It's also not a new set of laws to keep, kind of going along the same lines. This isn't a new Ten Commandments or an addition to the Ten Commandments. It's not like, okay, so I have to learn these rules and I have to keep these rules and then God will be pleased with me. The Sermon on the Mount goes far beyond rules. It, it, goes, to the, it goes to the heart. It goes to our, our inner being, our soul, who we are as people. If you need an example of that, I can give you one from Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, where Jesus says this, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. I want to encourage you to try to apply that as a rule. Give to the one who asks you. If anybody would like to raise their hands and say, I'm going to do that, uh, we will all gather around you after the service because there's things of yours we would like you to give us, like maybe your car, your house, right? The money in your pocket. Uh, we want to do that to you. But do you understand how that, that as a rule, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Try to apply that, parents, when your 15-year-old comes to you and says, I want to borrow the car. And you say no. And they say, but, but wait a minute. Jesus said, don't turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Now what are you going to say? Well, I hope what you're going to say is, yeah, Jesus did say that. And Jesus is trying to form in me to make me a person whose heart leans towards giving, whose heart is oriented toward, I want to be able to give. Whenever it's right and proper and loving and good to give, I want to be a person who gives. I don't want to be a person who hoards. I don't want to be a person who clutches to what I have. I want to be a person whose heart is oriented to giving, to lending. That's the kind of person I want to be. But you can't apply that as a rule, and Jesus doesn't expect us to apply that as a rule. He is trying to change the heart of who we are. And, and again, keep that in mind as we go through. Oswald Chambers, many of us are reading through Oswald Chambers' daily devotionals this year. And uh, he said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, it's not a set of rules and regulations. It's a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. 
you see? It's following the Spirit of God. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to, to do to us. He's trying to help us to become people who follow the Spirit of God. So it's not the entrance exam to heaven. It's not a set of rules and regulations to follow. It's also not an unrealistic set of ideals that will never be realized or a someday it will be so sermon. Some people think, you know, it's impossible to live this way, so we shouldn't even try. We'll just wait till we get to heaven and then everybody will be like this. Well, that's not the idea either. That's going too far in the other extreme. Jesus does want us to become these kinds of people. And so he is teaching us what his kinds of people in his kingdom are like. So we, we do want to listen to what he has to say and we want to ask God, help me. Lord, I know I'm a hoarder. I know that I, I don't like to lend to people. I don't like to give. My heart is immediately skeptical if somebody wants me to give them something. I don't want to be like that. So Lord, I need your help. Change my heart so that I am more open and free with the things that you've given me, right? This, this is how we begin to apply that because Jesus does want us to become people who reflect his values, his attitudes, his way of living in the world. Well, let me give you now a brief outline of the Sermon on the Mount. I broke it down into five sections. Others do it differently, but this is how I've broken it down. And this is where if you have a Bible in front of you, you may wanna just take a look at these sections as I walk through them. Chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, is the familiar Beatitudes. And this is what a follower of Jesus looks like. Someone who, who comes to Christ comes to them in this way. They come to him as a person who, who wants to be in his kingdom. They are poor in spirit. They recognize that, that they're not right in here, that, that their spirit isn't in the right place, that, that they need God's help because they know they're not the person that they ought to be. So they're poor in spirit. They need God. They mourn over their sin and the sin of the world. They are humble and they want to be made right with God. And they are people who are merciful and seek peace and who are willing to stand for Jesus even when it's costly. All of that is reflected in the Beatitudes. It's what a follower of Jesus looks like. And then in, in chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, we see what a follower of Jesus wants. This is where Jesus talks about being the, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We want, to, we want to make a difference in our world. We want to do good in the world. But we don't want it for ourselves. We don't want it for our own glory. We don't want it for pats on the back. We want it, as it says in verse 16, so that God gets glorified. So that we can say to people, you know, if you see good things in me, let me tell you, that's because Jesus is at work in me. It's because God is changing my heart. It's because God is moving me to become a new person. That's verses 13 to 16. Chapter 5, verses 17 to 48 really gets to the heart of the matter. And there's a lot of challenging teaching in this where we have to learn to apply the principles and, and discern uh, what Jesus is saying to us. But this is where the follower of Jesus operates from. They operate from a heart that's being transformed by God. A heart that's being transformed by God. So Jesus says over and over, you've heard it said, and he gives the rule. And then he says, but I want to tell you it's deeper than that. You've heard it said, don't murder. You don't murder. That's great. <laughs> Good for you. How about we fix your heart so you're not even full of anger? You don't have resentment, bitterness, or hatred towards anybody in your heart. Let's go to that level here. You don't commit adultery. Wonderful. How about we take your heart and make it a heart that doesn't lust? 
that doesn't even consider where the thought of adultery is so far from your mind because your heart is so changed that it just wouldn't even enter in. Let's do that. And let's do that in other areas of your life too. Let's do that with keeping your word. You don't have to make a lot of promises to people that you'll keep your word because your heart is such that you will keep your word. When you say something, you mean it. Your yes is yes, your no is no. Let's, let's reject, let's, let's form your heart so that you reject revenge seeking. You're not a person who even considers wanting to get revenge on other people. That you aspire to love all people, even your enemies. Let's, let's fix your heart and change you on the inside so that that is what's reflected on the outside. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 12, we see how a follower of Jesus lives in relationship to God. Just as God is generous and cares for the poor and, and people, so do we who love him. We care for others and we want to be generous to others. And, and we don't do that to get rewarded here on earth. If we get a reward, fine, whatever. If we don't, that's fine too, because we know that God knows. God's keeping score. He knows and he will reward us for the good things that we do here. The people of God's kingdom know they need to be in regular conversation with God, so they pray. And Jesus, he says, if you don't know how to pray, let me give you a model prayer. Just try this. Pray this prayer. Learn to pray by following this model prayer. We become people who stay in conversation with God. Sometimes we have to fast. We, our, our need is so great that we go without food. We go hungry for food because our hunger really is for what God can only do for us. So we look to him as we fast. And we don't make a big deal of it. We just do it. We don't have to tell a lot of people that we're fasting. Again, it's between us and God. If we're part of God's kingdom, we know that what he has in store for us is far greater than anything we could get here. So, so material goods, they become less important to us. They're not that important. I don't need to get a lot of money. I don't need to have the finest house or the best car and none of that stuff because I know that God has rewards for me that will far surpass any of that. And because we have a king who loves us completely and cares for us, we aim to be people who don't worry. We, don't, we try to be people who get up every day and, and instead of worrying about 10 or 12 things, we give that to God. And we say, we trust in you, Lord, to walk us through this, to give us what we need today. We are following you. So we, we aim to make worry less and less a part of our life. Just like we aim to make being judgmental and critical of others less and less a part of our life. God is the judge. We don't have to judge. Our job is to share God's love and, and help people to grow in their relationship with Christ if they want that relationship. But it's not to judge people. We don't have to do In fact, the people we judge most severely, ourselves. We look in the mirror and we look at those places where we need to continue to give things over to God. Lord, I know I have a lustful heart. I have an angry heart. I have a, a greedy heart. Lord, I give this to you. I ask you, change my heart before I ask you to change anyone else's. Finally, looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29, we see the choices that a follower of Jesus makes. Jesus says to follow him is to go through a narrow gate and to walk a narrow road. We are not people who believe that, that whatever God you worship, that's great, good enough. As long as you worship something, that's fine. We are not people who think all roads lead to heaven. Jesus has called us to come through a narrow gate. And in John, he tells us that he is the gate. We come to God through him and only through him. 
and then coming to him, we follow this road that he lays out for us. And this is what he's described in the Sermon on the Mount. So the world tells us, you know, yeah, you know, what's the big deal if you watch these kinds of television programs or go to these kinds of movies or engage in these kinds of activities? It's no big deal. Everybody does it. Well, everybody may be doing it, but Jesus has said, no, that's not the way to glorify God. And I follow Jesus' way. And that means sometimes it's a narrow road. And I don't do what everybody else is doing. I don't do what the world says is okay because Jesus has called me to something better. And I'm following his path. Jesus says that we need to be careful about who we listen to in this world. There are false prophets, false teachers, people who will tell you things that they say about God that are not true. So we have to be discerning about who we're listening to. Are they reflecting the truth in God's word, for example, when they preach or when they teach or in the books that they write? And then Jesus closes this sermon with a parable about two builders. Again, pointing to a choice that we get to make. Will we build our lives on solid ground or will we build them on shifting sand? Those are the choices. In the parable, two people each build a house. Their houses may be on the same block of the city. They may use the same materials to build their homes. Their houses may look similar or perhaps one house is even bigger and grander because the builder of that house took the resources that might have been used for the foundation and use them instead to add rooms or to add other appointments to the home. For a time, each one may enjoy the comforts of their home. But then a storm comes, a trial, a difficulty. Something hits these people that they can't stand up under on their own strength. And their houses, their lives, reflect where they have put their foundation. If it's a strong, solid foundation, which is the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ and following him on that narrow path, then the house will stand. But if it's a house that's built on shifting sand, that the wind blows around and the water moves around, the house will collapse. And Jesus says, the choice is yours. What kind of house are you building? Living out the Sermon on the Mount isn't difficult. It's impossible without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. John Stott, theologian, uh, used this illustration. He said, if you ask me to write like Shakespeare, I can't do it. And if you ask me to, by my own power, live the life that Jesus lived, I can't do that either. But if you could somehow take the mind and the heart of Shakespeare and put them inside me, then I could write like Shakespeare. And if you could take the mind and the heart of Christ and put that inside me, then maybe I could live the life that Jesus lives. And that's exactly what happens when we give our lives to Christ. By the Holy Spirit, he puts his mind and his heart in us so that we begin to be transformed. And that's a process, but it begins when we put our faith and trust in him. I want to close this message by pointing to you to, this might be unfair, but I think it'll end well, the scariest verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Scary, to me, they're the scariest verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5:20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in Matthew 7, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The Pharisees were committed to following the law of Moses just as strictly as possible because they believed that was the way to achieve righteousness and to be right with God. How could we hope to surpass the Pharisees in practicing the law in obeying? We can't. We couldn't. How can we hope to live perfectly righteous lives then and, and to be among people that Jesus invites in instead of saying, go away, I don't know you. Well, the solution to the dilemma is this. God does call us to be completely, perfectly righteous. I can't be completely, perfectly righteous by following laws, rules, and regulations. I can't. I will falter. But I can be more righteous than a rule-following Pharisee by receiving the righteousness of Christ. Paul, in Philippians, talks about all the things that he was counting on to make him right before God. He had the right family history. He'd been to the right schools. He'd learned the right stuff. He'd followed the right rules. And he believed once that doing all of that was going to make him right with God. And then he realized none of that makes him right with God. And he wrote this in Philippians. Everything else, all those things, is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is the key verse. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. See, we don't keep the Sermon on the Mount to get right with God. We get right with God by confessing our sin and receiving Christ as our Savior. And then we read the Sermon on the Mount and we study it to say, oh, God, this is the work you're doing in me. Help me to cooperate with your spirit to become this kind of a person in your kingdom. That's the point. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have... Um, made the way into your kingdom so simple through faith in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. But we thank you also that then you challenge us as members of your kingdom to, to live in a way that brings you glory and brings us peace and happiness and, and really makes this a better world, Lord. We acknowledge before you that we know we're going to stumble as we try to follow those things but we also acknowledge that we want to be people who cooperate with your Holy Spirit's work. So day by day, we pray that you will help us with that. 
Help us to get up in the morning and throughout the course of our days, continually commit ourselves to you and, and ask you to continue to lead us and change us, change our hearts. Help us to reflect Jesus more and more in the things that we say and the things that we do. And we will give you all praise and glory for that in his name. Amen. Amen. Sing his praise. Amen. Takeaway is from the, God, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Okay, that's good. I'm reading something else up there. <laughs> I'm glad you're seeing what I'm reading. Thank you. Uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's, that's our focus, right? Lord, I want your kingdom. I want your righteousness. And I know you're going to take care of everything else. So receive the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless your week. We want to thank you for listening to the Northgate podcast today. We hope that this message inspires and encourages your faith. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.